you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be over in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. We've been looking at this series on enduring change, creating change that lasts, creating change that doesn't go away. We see that the Word of God told us to be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't let anxiety come upon you. Don't, don't worry or fret about anything. Don't be in fear. Word of God tells us, fear not. These are things that we need to do. These are commands we need to listen to. That if we allow worry and anxiety to come into our life, it actually creates an atmosphere for the wrong things to come in and to sustain them. And we looked at all the physical things that can happen when worry and anxiety become a part of our life. We looked at how the accuser of the brethren, as he is called, the devil, comes about and accuses. And that many times that we as Christians can pick up his ministry. You want to call it that. We can pick up his tasks of becoming an accuser. Not only do we listen to the accusations he whispers in our ears, but sometimes we go off and we accuse as well. Don't be, don't be tapped into the ministry, the work, we should say, of the, of the evil one. Tap into the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what you want to do. The accuser of the brethren, he's going to get kicked out of heaven. No longer will he be bringing accusations before the throne. Don't ever repeat. And we talked about, we spent some time on this, how in our ear we begin to hear accusations that are made about people near us, people close to us. They haven't necessarily done anything, but the, the word comes in, they're doing this against you. They don't like you. They're trying to get you pushed out. Accusations come in. They're doing this for, because they want to hurt you. They're doing this because they don't respect you. Different accusations. Don't entertain them. Because if we do, we saw some of the things that can come in. Bitterness is one of those things that comes in. We don't want to have bitterness be a part of our life because we bring that into our life and other things go on. We saw Saul and David last week how a relationship that God had brought into the life of Saul to help him accomplish the purpose for which he was called. That accusations were whispered into his ear about David. He believed them and that relationship was severed. And all the good that David could do for him was taken out. We looked at that last time. But don't listen to this. This, this time we want to take a look at some, some things in the area of bitterness because it doesn't always come from unforgiveness. That's probably one of the things we think about most is that bitterness, I'm bitter towards somebody because I have unforgiveness in my life. But there are other doors and windows that bitterness tries to come in. And so just to look at the humorous side of this because sometimes it's best just to laugh at some of the things that, uh, uh, that go on. We want to um, take, take a look at a Christian comedian. Tim Hawkins is his name. And uh, I've seen this uh, up on uh, Facebook a few times. Maybe some of you have missed it. But uh, we downloaded it for us uh, for our viewing enjoyment. So, uh, Daryl, if you go ahead and play that. Hey honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? 
The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking because I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who done that, a long and happy life is up to you. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. <laughs> Your man who wants to live a long and happy love that too. It's all the things you don't certainly. You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife. It's all the things you don't certainly. All right. Anybody see that one before? A couple of you. Yeah, it was out there floating around. He's got some funny stuff up there, and uh, it's nice to see good Christian comedy. And uh, had a couple of things with some Bible stories too. They were uh, they were interesting. But how many of y'all know that when you hear, if you were a wife and you heard some of this, that bitterness could come in? <laughs> there are many avenues and many ways for which bitterness can come into our life. Not all are just through unforgiveness. And we're going to take a look at some of those here as we, we go into this here this morning. Now, some of these don't even involve anybody doing anything wrong. And if we understand that way that bitterness can come in, we can guard against it a whole lot better. Because if the enemy can get bitterness into your life, he can undermine a whole lot of things. We don't want that to, to be going on. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. I always like to look up, you know, what was the last time we got into this? And it was uh, just about two years ago. Last time we looked at this story. That's about a long enough time. Because there's some good things to be learned from this. We're going to be looking at this particular story for different things than we looked at it before. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were the, with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in, told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised... When this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Now, did the king of Syria seek a quarrel? No. 
I mean, obviously they've had some war with each other. Otherwise, the servant girl wouldn't have been in, the, in, his, uh, uh, in his country. They uh, got her on a raid down in the land of Israel. But he's not. He just heard that there was a prophet in the land who could help his guy out. And so he sent him because of what he heard. Then the king hears this, either through a servant or some other way. Uh, the king hears this and he gets all upset. See, he's trying to pick a fight with me. He wasn't, was he? How did he, how did he figure out that this, the king of Syria wanted to pick a fight with him? Something whispered in his ear, didn't it? Something said to him, this man wants to pick a fight with you. Who in the world asked the king to heal the commander of his army of leprosy? Who does that? He obviously has ill intent. And so he responds that way because of what he heard in his ear. But that's not what was going on at all. Now, Elisha, he gets word about what's going on. And we come up to that part in the, the next part of the story here. Now, in case you're wondering, because some people look at it this way, how many think, well, don't, don't use your outside hand, use your inside hand. How many of you think that God ordained for this servant girl to be captured by the Syrian army so that she could be in this place so that Naaman would hear about Elisha? But see, that's how some Christians go because some good came out of it. God must have intended it. God does not intend for any of his children to be taken captive by a Syrian army or any other army and serve as a slave in their household. That's not God's goal. God did not intend this. God did not want it. What brought it on was Israel's disobedience, which is why Syria was able to come down and make raids in the first place. So don't blame God for this. It's not his fault. It's Israel's fault because they fell into idolatry. And they fell into things that they shouldn't have been involved with. And the hand of the God's protection was off of them. So their enemies were able to come down and do some things. Now God is able to take what is meant for harm and meant for bad and turn it around for something good. Which he did right here. But it's not God's plan and it's not God's pur purpose either. We had some fun with that when we were in the book of Esther. How many remember here on Wednesday night we went through the book of Esther? That people have looked at that book and said God planned for Esther to be part of a harem for an ungodly king so that he could save his people. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Can you imagine this? God puts his entire word on hold to simply say, look, Esther, I know it's not in my, it's in my word that you should not be in a harem. I realize that it's in my word that a man should have one wife. But I'm going to make an exception here and I want you to be married to this heathen. And I know in my word it says don't be unequally yoked. But I need to make an exception here on this one too. And so I need you to become unequally yoked. And marry someone who is, is not only not Jewish. Not a worshiper of God. And worships idols. I need you to go into that household. Among with all the other women. I need you to have this kind of uh, immoral relationship going on. So that I can save Israel down the road. You think God is so small that that's the only way he could do it? Boy, we, put a, we, we make God small sometimes. God could save Israel any which way he wanted to. But because of things that had gone on, she happened to be in this place. And so they went ahead and did it. Now, we'll listen to the words of Mordecai. What's Mordecai say? How do you know that God hasn't put you in this position just for such a time as this? How many of y'all know that's in the Word of God? Yeah, take a look at who said it. We don't have time to go all through the book of Esther, but Mordecai, folks, is not the best guy to model your life after. We looked at all the things he did that were wrong, that, were, that missed God, that were putting the, the Word of God aside. 
It's ridiculous how much he, he did. And then we want to model ourselves. We want to take the words that he says. And No, the word of God does not say that the Holy Spirit said it. It does not say that God said it. does not say a prophet of God said it. It does not say these are the words of God. It said this is what Mordecai said. We've got to have enough sense to realize that if somebody says something in the word of God and their life doesn't sustain us listening to them, we should, probably shouldn't listen to them. How many of you all know Saul? We looked at Saul last week. Saul said some things. How many want to listen to Saul? We saw that Saul did some prophesying. How much of that made the word of God? <laughs> anyway, that's just a side note. No extra charge. So this news was carried to Elisha. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? <laughs> In other words, why are you behaving like this? That's not how we're supposed to behave. Please let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the uh, Abana and the uh, Farpar Rivers of Damascus, far, far better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away and he went in a rage. Now, you can tell from this passage that Naaman's upset. He was upset. Now, Elisha is a prophet in Israel. How many of y'all figure, you know, Israel is not the most, at this point, Israel is not the most God-fearing country. They put more into their idols than they do into the worship of their God. Many times the house of God has been fallen into disrepair. So probably Elisha is not getting a huge salary from the folks that are there. Maybe not even large offerings. How big of a house do you think Elisha has? But he comes to his house. And when he knocks on the door of the house, this is, I am Naaman. I am the commander of Syria's army. I have been sent by the king. To come here to this house. I've been sent by two kings. First my king and then the king of Israel. Have sent me here to this house. To see the man of God. And the man of God sends a servant. To answer the door. He could not get up himself. And come to the door. Now you think about it this way. If you went over to somebody's house and visited them. Then uh, they were inside. And, you know, how many all know, you know, we have some houses and some of them can be large, but how far away is the front door? Maybe you're upstairs, you've got to come down a flight of stairs. It's not far, is it? Not, not, we're, we don't live that, that big of houses that it's that far. But Elisha sends a messenger. He doesn't come himself. He doesn't see that this is something he's supposed to do. And Naaman, the whole time he's going over there, he's thinking this is what's going to happen. Elisha's going to come to the door. And he's going to call upon the name of his God, wave his hands, do something. And leprosy is just going to fall away. It's going to go and I'm going to go home and that's how it's going to go. We've never done that, have we? I mean, wives, you have never contemplated in your mind what your husband would do when he comes home. Have you? 
You have never said, well, I'm sure that when he comes home, he will do this. He will come over here. He'll spend some time and talk with me. He'll come over here and help me clean the dishes. He'll come over here and, and he'll... We've never spent any time thinking that. Husbands, you never spend any time thinking about what your wife will do. If she comes home from work, if she's out doing something, maybe she was going out to the store, maybe she'll come home and she'll bring some of my favorite stuff home. I'll bet that's it. She's going out to the store and I'll bet she'll come home with some pistachio ice cream. That's for Naz. That's for Naz. If I go out to the store and bring home ice cream, I better have something chocolate. That's just the way it is. There better be something in there. You know, double double brownie fudge chocolate, whatever it might be, death by chocolate, some kind of a thing like that. But it, there better be some. doesn't matter if I'm going to eat it or not. I better be bringing home some ice cream and there ought to be at least one mention of the word chocolate. Two is better. But this is the kind of things that are, that are there. Now, me, if I go out for ice cream, it isn't usually a chocolate one. I can eat chocolate ice cream, but... Um, you know, there are other things that, that I, I like. I like vanilla. love vanilla. I like caramel in mixed in with my ice cream. I like Heath bars mixed in with my ice cream. These are things that excite me when ice cream comes. These are, these are good. Now, if I brought that home and that was the only time I brought home, my wife would look at that and says, Oh, didn't think about me, did you? <laughs> but you see, we can get these things going on in our, in our heads. And we begin to think about it in our minds. This is what they will do. We've never said to them, I want this done. We've never said, this is how I want them to, to respond. My wife and I have this running joke that goes along. If I make a wrong comment, if I don't say something the way that I should, she said, you're not reading the script. <laughs> this is what you're supposed to, It's right here. <laughs> Because we have these expectations of things. We have expectations of bosses. We have expectations of other co-workers. We expect that they would do certain things. We expect that they would appreciate certain things. We have expectations of our kids that they would appreciate things. That they might even chip in and, and help. How many of you have a you know, Saturday morning? Dishes are all over the counter from meal you were cooking the night before and, you, and the thought comes to your mind. I'll bet my son or my daughter will just get up and probably clean up that whole, that whole thing there and just, I'll come on down and, the, and all the dishes will be done and coffee will be brewing. My wife says that to me a lot of times. She'll say, uh, it sure would be nice if I came down and there'd be some coffee brewing. She says, not if I made it. <laughs> That probably wouldn't be nice. I don't make coffee because I, I don't drink coffee. I don't make co- I'm just not very very um, good at making that and don't take a whole lot of time to, to do that. Now, if you have the K-cups, <clears throat> I can do that. And that's what I can do. Pop that right in there, hit the button. We got the, we got the K-cup going on. But we have these expectations in our heads. And when people don't make our expectations, bitterness can set in. They haven't even done anything. They haven't said anything against us. They haven't done anything against us. They haven't tried to hurt us or harm us. But in my head, I'm thinking, he should come down himself, 
be at the door, call upon the name of his God, wave his hands, do something, the leprosy leaves, and I go away. Instead, he sends a servant to come to the door and to tell me to go wash in that river Jordan. That one we crossed over to get here, the one I said, man, that is one dirty looking river. Oh, don't like that look of that river at all. I mean, you've seen some of those rivers. Some of those rivers you go on by, they're a nice blue color. And other ones are anything but blue. They, they're not looking good at all. I mean, I've seen some, some of those pictures that come up on the internet, you see, that red in the, that's not normal. Something happened here. We don't want to go dip in those. But he says, you want me to go where? Aren't these other rivers better? I'd much rather go home and dip in one of those. If he at least said one of those rivers, I could, I could get behind that. What is this going to this particular river? Indeed, I said to myself, didn't even say it to his servants. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Now, this does not help him at all to have been thinking this. Where do you think the thought came from? Where do you think your thoughts come from when you begin to think of expectations of other people? I think that they ought to do this. I think that this and this ought to happen. And it doesn't happen. Where do you think the thought comes from? We need to stand up against some of these thoughts. And when they come on and says, I don't know that they want to do that. I don't even know that I need that done. Now, just to give you a case of an example, and I give you this because there is no way I ever want this done. I am not saying this to try and plant a seed to get somebody in the church to come along and try and do this. If you do this, I will probably hit you upside the head or something like that. So just make sure we get that clear. But I've been in some churches. You've probably been in some churches too. And the the pastor is there and the pastor does not carry his own Bible. He has people that carry the Bible for him and whatever else he's got. They may have a Bible and a couple other stacks of things and people carry the Bible for him and bring that on up to the, to the stage. And for some pastors, they may like that have been done. That's fine. I am not one of those. If I cannot carry my own Bible or in this case, my own iPad up to the stage, I ought to retire. <laughs> That's just my... My view of, of the things. So don't think I'm trying to, to do... But if I came up with an expectation and I went out to one of these churches and I saw, oh, Pastor so-and-so has people who come up and they bring all this stuff for him. Wow. I wonder why nobody does that for me. And I come on back to the church and I'm carrying my Bible. I wonder, do you think someone's going to come up and ask me to take my Bible and carry it up there for me? Do you, I wonder if that's going to happen. And I go through that Sunday and no one knows about this because I haven't said it. I said it to who? Myself. And I begin to think, who's going to do it? Well, Matt didn't pick it up. Uh, Ethel walked right past me and didn't carry my Bible. Like, even Bruce. Bruce always is looking for something to do. He let me carry my own Bible. I don't understand it. Does no one here care about me? No one wants to carry my Bible for me. I have to carry it up there myself. You can see how that's, that kind of stuff goes on? For things that actually matter, this doesn't matter at all. 
Like I said, don't try and carry my Bible. I will look at you funny. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, or something like that. <laughs> I like carrying my own stuff. Always have. Never have uh, asked for anybody else to come along and, and to do that. But we get these expectations. Where do they come from? The enemy comes in and he begins to tell you, your, your husband, your wife, your friend, your co-worker, your bo- they should do this for you. They should come up and offer you a raise without you even asking. They should come up and offer you overtime because of how hard you worked. They should give you a bonus because of all the things that you've done. And then we begin to look for these things to go on. And it doesn't happen. And we're just like Naaman, who begins to think, why doesn't he come out himself? Why doesn't he call in the name of his God? And the leprosy just go away. And he comes out of there mad. And yet Elisha has not done a thing to harm him. Elisha has only done things to help. But he doesn't see it that way. Because, folks, when bitterness gets a hold of our life, there's a number of things that it shuts down. And those things, when they shut down, they harm us. They cause us harm. I believe I put them in your, in your outlines. Well, we're going, we're going to read them off here in just a little bit. But as we said, bitterness can come because people fail to meet our expectations. I put in parentheses next to here, silent or spoken. If people fail to meet our expectations, bitterness can come in. Situations are not what we desire. I desire something different. And that hasn't happened yet. Unforgiveness can even take root. And what's really odd is, there is nothing that person needs to do to ask for forgiveness for because they didn't do anything. We have expectations and we get mad. How many of you have ever gone into a store? You um, trying to return a product and it took longer than you thought it should. And your expectations were, I'd be out of here in five minutes. And the reality was, 30 minutes later, you're still in the store. And you become bitter and angry and yet the person on the other side is only trying to help now we had a situation here in, in church I, I sort of went through a, a little bit of that uh, just last night we had um, a, a nice beautiful printer over next door and it decided to shut down for something really weird I mean the whole thing is functioning perfectly except for one thing I can't quite understand that I, it has one of the cartridges inside everything else in the printer works fine but it can't understand that it has a magenta cartridge. And so it won't run because it thinks, I don't have this one particular cartridge. So we tried a few things to get it to go, and it's not going. But, uh, you know, these things are so cheap anymore. If you call it a repairman out, it's going to cost more than getting a new one. So uh, we looked around. We finally found, I, f- I found one. I says, well, this one looks like it'll work. And uh, it, it, it wasn't that, that much money to, to start with. And... So, all right, we go ahead and order this. And so I went in last week to get it from the, the place because I've you know, shopped it around and found a place that had it. It's a $500 printer. It was marked down to $400, and then it was on sale for another $100 off of that. 
So we're getting it for $300. And, uh, and it does more than the other one did. Oh, one of the really cool things is, you know, sometimes you guys are in here doing your outlines. This one will copy both sides. Just feed it through one time and it copies both sides. Glory to God. I saw that. I says, I need that. <laughs> I need that. So I walked into the Best Buy and I said, I want to order this. I want to get this printer. And the guy says, he looked around and says, I'm sorry, we don't have any. Oh, the website said you did. So uh, I says, I can look around some of the other stores. He says, no, nah, I'm not time to get down to the other stores right now. Um, that's all right, I'll, I'll find it around. I, I did find it around, but you know, I've got to pay more money. So uh, I walked back in on, um, uh, earlier this week, and I put the order. I says, look, I see that you have more coming in, and you expect to have it here by Saturday. So uh, can I just order that, and then I can just come in and pick it up? I want to make sure that I get one of those. And so he wrote up the order. I was in and out of the store in seven minutes, I think. In, found what we wanted, wrote it up. I'm back out of the store. This is great. So they said, uh, you know, it looks like it's coming in on the Friday night truck, so you can pick it up on Saturday. So we weren't going through Saturday. We had some things that happened on Saturday, kind of threw off our day a little bit. So end of the day, I'm thinking, ah, I have to go over to Best Buy and get the, get the printer. So I got the receipt, and little girl, she wants to come along with me. So we, we both get in the car, we head on over there, and we go over to the counter where it says pick up, and three people are there to help us out. There's no line. Three people are there to help us out. One guy looked like he's being trained on it. The other guy looks like he's an old salt at the thing. And then somebody else came on in. I think the other person came in because I had this really cute girl with me. (laughs) She attracts a lot more attention than I do. And so we were sitting there and and they were looking it up and, and they were looking it up and looking it up and, you know, we're, I'm beginning to wonder, wonder if they have it. And I heard the one guy say, I know we have it. I saw it back there. I saw it back there when it came in last night. So um, we're waiting, we're waiting, and little girl and I, you know, we're chatting, having some fun, and, and um, waiting, and waiting. The guy says, I'm sorry, you have to wait. That's all right. We're having fun. Little girl and I were chatting and talking and having fun. And finally, it, it did it did arrive. We saw it actually going on by. I said, oh, I think that's our... our uh, printer right over there so we got over there it must have it was must have been a while because my wife said what took you so long but we didn't get frustrated we didn't get flustered we just sat there we you know talk with each other and things like that but you know that can be a, a thing why why are they delaying me don't they know my time is important why can't they get this thing together we could begin to think those things, and we could have come out of there very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Instead, we came out happy. Mm-hmm. We were doing good. Well, I can't say that I've done that every time, but it worked last night. <laughs> Don't listen to the accuser who's coming in India and say, they're not working. For, they're, they're off on some coffee break right now, taking a coffee break while you're sitting here waiting for this thing to come in. Why doesn't one of these two guys that's over here, why don't one of them go back there and get it? You can begin to think all these different things and have expectations. But it's not going to help you and it didn't help Naaman. In fact, it almost shut down what he needed to receive. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? 
How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Thank God he listened to somebody, huh? Somebody who's at a lesser position than him, but he listened to them anyway. He almost shut down his opportunity to be healed of an incurable disease. A disease that for the folks there meant a death sentence. It was going to shorten your life. Some uh, types of leprosy were more, uh, they, they spread more than others. Other ones were not contagious. What he had was probably one that was not as not contagious at all or not as contagious that he was in the position that he was in. But he listened and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your hand. But he said, Who said? Who's the he? That's Elisha. As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, why is it that Elisha comes to meet him for the thank you and doesn't come to meet him for the command? Don't you think that the Lord had something to do with it? Elisha, don't go out yourself. You need to send somebody. Because he's got he's to do something to get Naaman past, uh, uh, past something so that he'll, he'll do this as an act of faith. And that act of faith will bring the healing that he desires. But now it's okay. Now he's healed. Now go on out there. That's fine. And so he went on out there. And he tried to give him a reward. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down to the temple of Rimon, when I bow down to the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him, from him a short distance. Now, fortunately, again, Naaman listened to somebody. But there's some things that he, uh, that he didn't. I'm going to jump on ahead here in your outline. I'm going to give you these things here now. Bitterness will do some things to your life. Bitterness, first off, folks, bitterness will turn off your receiver. If you fall into bitterness, you will not receive from the one you are bitter against. Now, generally, you'll still sometimes receive from other people that you're not bitter against. But as that list begins to grow in your life and you are bitter at more and more and more and more, the ones you can receive from become less and less. And if the enemy is able to get bitterness between you and God, he will stop you from receiving from him. You've got to be careful about that. Because the enemy wants to get you to say, how come God has not? Why are you still going through this? How come this hasn't happened Is it because God doesn't love you? God doesn't care about you? And isn't that the accusation that the disciples had when they were bailing out the boat of the water in the storm and they came down to Jesus and woke him very roughly and said, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? Who were they listening to? The accuser. He accused the Master of not caring. I'll do the same thing with you. Don't. Listen 
and get that bitterness in. So here's the first thing that will turn off is your receiver. Here's the second thing that will turn off. It's your faith. When you have bitterness going on, your faith will be shut down. Get rid of the bitterness. Here's another thing that will, it will turn off. Obedience. Did Naaman desire to obey the word, the command that came to him for him to be cured of leprosy? He didn't want to do it, did he? It shut down his disobedience or his obedience. Turned it right off. Here's a, here's a fourth one. And this, this is not a comprehensive list. You can throw some other things in here. I'm just giving you a starter, here, starter list here. Here's some other things. Appreciation. It will turn off your appreciation of what other people do. And this one's similar to it, but a little bit different. It will turn off your gratefulness. Your thankfulness, your gratitude, it gets turned off. Now, as soon as he put away that bitterness and he was healed, what's the first thing he wants to do? Come back and thank. Come back and be generous and be grateful for what, what had occurred. Now, here's something else for you. Oh, one more. When we get into bitterness, bitterness, bitterness turns off your friends. Doesn't it? How many of you have been around bitter people? Every time you get around them, they are spewing bitterness. What does that want get you to want to do? I need to put distance between me and that person over there. Because so much bitterness is coming out. It will put distance between you and your friends. It will turn them off. Be careful, folks. It will do it between husbands and wives, parents and children. Co-workers, whomever it might be, you know, turn, turn them off to each other. Bitterness will turn on some things, though. It will turn on your complaining. You bring in bitterness, folks. You have turned the complaint button on. Flip that switch right up there. And constantly out of your mouth is coming complaining. If you constantly have complaining coming out of your mouth, do a search because somewhere bitterness has gotten in. Guaranteed you. You cannot be a complainer without bitterness being part of your life. Here's another thing that will turn on. You will see the worst in people and in every situation. You will see the worst. The Bible says, look for the best, believe the best. But what will happen when you get in this? Bitterness will cause you to see the worst. And you allow this condition to continue to go on and stuff will be supported in your life that you do not want. You do not desire. But it will become part of your life. Get it out. It will not help you. Now, how many of you all like to eat bitter foods? I don't know. Some people like to eat bitter foods. Um, I, I, I detest just about everything bitter. That's not because I'm super spiritual. It's just... Um, it's, you know, there's not, a, not a, I guess there are a few things. Isn't horseradish considered bitter? See, I like horseradish. It's actually in the Jewish uh, feast, it's considered their bitter herb. So they bring that on in there. But I'll give you another example. How many of y'all like celery? That is a shame. Your taste buds have just been ruined. That, you, that is the most tasteless stuff. But what little bit of taste celery has, it is bitter. 
Now, if you bring in bitter food into your life, apparently has changes in your body that can have some health benefits. So that's probably why celery is out there. I do not intend to get those health benefits. Outside of celery salt, it will not become a part of me. I just don't like it. My, my wife makes two kinds of stuffing on Thanksgiving. One with and one without. That's, I, I appreciate her doing that. I'm probably about the, you know, like one or two of us who don't like celery. One batch of stuffing with celery, one batch of stuffing, no celery. Sauerkraut, I mean, that's bitter. It's bitter smelling. Oh, isn't coffee bitter? Isn't it bitter? Not considered that way? Oh, I don't know. But anyway, you know, sometimes we can develop a taste for some things that are bitter. Some people, folks, have developed a taste for the bitterness in their life. And they actually crave it. And they actually desire it. And they bring that, bring that in. Don't be doing it. Get all that stuff. Keep it out. Let's finish this off here in verse 25. Um, nope, we need to go to tw- verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman, this, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Hmm. He's a little bit bitter here, isn't he? What's, what's uh, Gehazi doing? This man came to bring us stuff. And he's an enemy of Israel. And he came to bring us stuff. And my master said, no, we don't want your stuff. And sent him away. What an opportunity that has been lost. We cannot, and bitterness begins to rise up inside. And the accuser comes in and says, how dare Elisha send this heathen away without blessing the man of God. And he says, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well, my master, has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, Please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of their garments and handed them to two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. He didn't want to carry his Bible, I guess. He's one of those guys, if he became a pastor, somebody else would be carrying his Bible. He's got servants. Servants, you come along, you're going to carry the stuff. When he had come to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master, Elisha, and said, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. I think there's a whole lot more repercussions for Gehazi falling into bitterness than there was for Naaman. But don't fall into bitterness. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help your situation. And it will foster, we, we read to you the, the natural things, the things that it does in your body if you have bitterness become part of your life. We showed you some of the things that goes on with that. 
and you need to stand up against it. Don't let it come in. Because all these things, we, we saw some of the, the things that come in, the headaches, the sleepless nights, all the, the different conditions, the medical science will tell us that if bitterness gets into your life, this is what can happen. Oh, don't, got these, don't let these things get in your life. Keep it out. Because if you do, you will support something in your life that you may actually be praying to God to deliver you from. We don't need to, we don't need to do that. I put this in your outline for you. To make room for what bitterness moves in with, what gets moved out? Because, you know, if if bitterness is going to move in, it's going to bring baggage, it's going to bring stuff. Well, then you need to move some other things out. What spiritual conditions can a bitter person sustain that won't make it in one who is not? You know, be one who's not bitter because same conditions that go on in someone who's bitter won't be in a part of you. Look at this, Acts chapter 8, verse 18. I just gave you the references for it. You can, um, you'll have them there. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of, this, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Poisoned by bitterness is what we hear about in Acts. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing. And bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Don't let bitterness get in. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Apparently, folks, bitterness is not a problem of the few. It is a problem of the many. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. You get bitterness in your life, folks, it will cause you trouble. You need to get it out. Here's one more. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's a whole lot to put away. But we need to do it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Now look at this. And evil speaking. People that are bitter are constantly speaking evil of others to people who are not even involved. That's what bitterness will do. Because you want people that are not involved to tell you that you're right. To tell you that you're okay. And if you try and get some soothing for all that bitterness is on the inside, but it won't last very long. The only way you can get soothing to come into your life for all the bitterness that's there is to get rid of that bitterness 
Don't listen to the accuser anymore. And what he tells you right here, let all bitterness, it's up to you. It's not up to God. Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Can you see how important it is to get bitterness out of your life? If you allow the accuser to come in and to whisper things in your ear and you pick them up and even repeat them to others and bitterness begins to take root and be part of your life, so too will many other things, most of which you don't like and you don't want and certainly don't desire. When bitterness is in your life about certain people to where when they come in, they make candy. Don't they make candy, this bitter candy? I know my kids used to like it. They, they used to see this, this bitter, some bitter kind of candy. You take it in, or sour. It, wasn't, it was sour, okay. If you take one of those sour candies and you put it in your mouth, what happens? I mean, your whole face just kind of contorts. And, and you think, oh, that was good. I'm not sure who does it. <laughs> oh, that was good. But I saw your face. That was not a face of something that was good. That was a face of something that was, ugh. we did this, you know, little, little Chenzo. He gets the lemon and they give him the lemon. And they put that to his, because, you know, he's trying to, to, to taste different things. And he, and he put that to his mouth and you see his face. Ooh. And then he wants more. He wants more. He, he cries if you don't give it back to him. Give it back. I want. It takes more. And you see the whole face begin to contort. And, uh, and you say, this, it's not, not good. But then he wants more. Kind of, kind of funny that way, huh? Folks, bitterness can actually be a learned taste to where if it's not in your life, you feel like it's, something is missing. Something is wrong. But you need to get to that place where bitterness leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Kind of like, how I many like diet, diet drinks? That's one of the things that, you know, that I have people in my life who constantly tell me, Diet Coke is not good for you. I don't care what they say. Until my spirit tells me to give up Diet Coke, I'm drinking Diet Coke. I like Diet Coke. I can't stand artificial sweeteners. But I love Diet Coke. I'll figure that out. You give me a Diet Sprite, I'll spit it out. You give me a Diet Iced Tea, I will spit it out. Oh, it's awful tasting. You give me anything else that is diet, and I will spit it out. I don't like it. But something about diet, I've developed a taste for it. And I like the taste of, of how Diet Coke tastes. You give me regular Coke, I will spit it out. I will not drink it. Tastes awful. But that one, see, we can, we can sometimes develop a taste for something. And then we can begin to crave it and desire it. That I need to have that thing. Don't ever get that way. Don't let bitterness become part of you. Stand up against it. Here it says not only to get rid of that stuff in your life, but he says, now here, go in this direction. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we should go. Here's the things not to do, but here's the things to do. Bitterness will try and get in your life this week. Just know it. Bitterness is going to try and get in your life this week. The accuser is going to come and tell you some inside information about somebody near and dear to you or somehow important to you. And bitterness will follow. It's up to you whether you want to believe it or not. You can just kick it out. 
or you can hang on to it and bring in that bitterness. But if you bring it in, now you have to live with it. And it will be with you all the time. And it will change what happens on the inside. And conditions that you don't even want can make their home in you because you brought in bitterness. Just like if you bring in worry and anxiety, conditions can make their home in you because these things are there. The Word of God tells us, don't be anxious, don't be worrisome, do not fear. It doesn't tell us just don't do a little bit. It says don't do it. it tells us to get rid of bitterness. It tells us not to be or listen to the accuser. Unforgiveness can't be in our life. But bitterness can come through a whole lot more ways than just unforgiveness. And once it's there, just understand you can develop a taste for it. And you can need it in your life. And it won't help you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we learn from your word how important it is for us to stay in the area rejoicing. Stay in the area of gladness. Bitterness shuts that down. Bitterness shuts down the love walk in our life. Bitterness shuts, bitterness shuts down what we can receive from other people. Even what we can receive from you. And Father, we want bitterness to be out of our life. Help us this week to be able to spot it, to be able to see where it has made its roots become part of our life and to begin to extract it and to get rid of it. Father, it has no place in the believer's heart any more than worry or fear or anxiety does. And I thank you, Father, that you show us how it comes and what we can do to get rid of it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. This morning is our communion Sunday. The Lord told us to remember the work that he did on the cross. And he said, as often as you do this, remember the work that he did. How bitter could Jesus have gotten when he was hanging on the cross, when he was being beaten for something he didn't do? Beaten so badly that the, the Word of God says you couldn't even recognize him as a man. Body torn apart, a cross thrown on his back to carry, taken to the hill, nailed to the cross, not for what he did, but for what we did. In the words of Pilate that were recorded in the Word of God, you take him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. Isn't that bizarre? The judge says you're innocent. So go and crucify him. But he did not become bitter. He loves us. He cares greatly for us. He's an example of how we can go through tremendous stuff and not become bitter. 
as we take the elements here. In the Word of God, it says that the, he took the bread before supper and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance. That salvation is two parts. One part affects our, our soul. And that we are born again. And sin is no longer held to our account. And the other part affects our body. That our body is healed, redeemed from the curse of the law. And he did it in two parts because he knew we would forget both or one. Many people have forgotten the healing part of the work of Jesus Christ. So as we take the bread and as we eat this together, let's remember the healing part of the body of Jesus Christ. That our sin was put, was put, taken away, out of the way by his blood. But on his body was put our sickness and our disease. He bore them so that we don't have to. Let's eat together. After supper, put a whole meal in between. After supper, the Word of God says, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Blood of the old covenant covered up sin. The blood of the new covenant washed it away. And because of that, this day that is Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Instead of Him just living around us or coming upon us at times, He can make His home in us because sin has been wiped away. Let's remember the work that He did. We don't do it. We don't become good enough. We don't stop doing all the things that are bad in order to be born again, in order to be righteous. We accept His righteousness. He lived this life without sin. And we don't wear our righteousness, we wear His. Thank God for that. Because ours is full of holes. But His is complete. Let's drink together. Glory to God. Before we go, there are some praise reports we'd uh, like to share with you. Looks like the, the pile has grown, which is good. I don't know where my glasses are, so I have to get somebody else. I thought I had them. We'll see how well we do. Marguerite. Yeah, they're not my pair. <laughs> Marguerite, during the memorial service of Tracy Williams, who passed away in May, it was good to see how many she touched in her life. Um, but the greatest blessing is that a man accepted the call to receive Christ when the invitation was, was given. Praise God for that. Uh, Marguerite has another one too. I am thankful for being able to share with my cousin, Ernest, that God is a good God and that he will help him get through anything. He was very receptive. 
Glory to God for that. Praise, uh, praise puts this in. Praise God for my first paycheck from my new job. <laughs> to show my thanks, I will offer it all to him. Raise F. Yeah, your, your handwriting is fine. It's just, it's just small. Can you, can you help me with that? Okay. <laughs> you put them on, I take them off. This <laughs> week we were blessed again when, I don't, what's that? And uh, Angela, Angela's car went in for inspection. <laughs> inspection. We were expecting 500 to to $1,000 of repairs. The final cost, $148. Praise God for his blessings and the joy of being one of his. Amen. Amen. That's a big difference. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Daryl, I want to thank the Lord for all the wonderful people that he has brought to my business that, that uh, make my job a joy every day. Amen. That's good stuff. We appreciate you sharing the praise reports that you have. Candy and Bobby are not here today. Candy has um, having a migraine headache and Bobby... It's just about done his radiation. He's, uh, the side effects are, are uh, getting very hard. Let's keep them in, in prayer. Let's all stand up again. <laughs> 